Well, good morning. Uh, This week we are entering Missions Week, and so we are taking a break from Romans uh, this morning, and actually for the next four weeks, uh, because we're we're zeroing in on missions. Uh, Because this month is our reminder of the mission Jesus gave the church, and how we are to live that out on a daily basis. Missions Month is us reaffirming our commitment to the ends of the earth, and we're seeing that it begins right in our very own home, as the gospel, we believe, still has the power to change lives. So this month, uh, we'll begin by looking locally, and then uh, as we progress, we will be looking to the ends of the earth, for we are each called to live out our calling on a daily basis to go, and then also to then support the mission work and the missionaries uh, who work locally and abroad. And that is where our faith promise comes in at the end of the month. We will uh, all have the opportunity to be in prayer over what our number will be this year. And then come February 28th, we're going to turn that number in. And faith promise uh, money goes 100% towards our missions efforts. And we trust in God to provide that money throughout the year um, in only the ways that he can and does, uh, and we, we've seen his faithfulness on that. And then, uh, so this faith promise is opposed to our general giving, where we give regularly, and then 10% of our general giving uh, gets taken automatically off the top and goes directly to missions. So all, all giving goes to missions, uh, but our faith promise giving goes 100% to missions. And, and this is how we're able to support over 20 missionaries worldwide um, and locally, Pregnancy Care Center, uh, CAPS, and, and Open Gate. And it's a wonderful opportunity to be a part of the great commission that Jesus gave us uh, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We read, And Jesus came and said to them, this is after the resurrection and before his ascension into heaven, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, na- in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is his great commission. And here at KCC, we, we have our mission statement, uh, which reflects this great commission Jesus gave us. Uh, so if you know it, would you please uh, say this with me? Plant the good news of Jesus Christ, grow mature disciples, and harvest the fruit of the Spirit for the needs of the world. That's our mission. As receivers of salvation through Jesus, we go and tell of this incredible news, and the Holy Spirit has come to partner with us and empowering us to do so. And Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So it is a great co-mission, us and God together to further his kingdom. As Jesus says, he desires that none should perish and that all would be saved. He is serious about his mission. So the question we want to put a spotlight on this morning is, who is our them? As Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So who is that them for you this morning, truly, in in your life right now? Not general, but specific. Who is the them that we are called to pray for, 
to invest in them, to invite them. And, and uh, last year, we introduced this principle uh, called oikos, the oikos principle, that in contrast to this broad uh, approach to reaching you know, the somewhere out there, uh, obscure them, it is in fact a very specific group of people uh, that have names and faces, and, and we know them quite well, and on average, we'll have anywhere from 8 to 15 of them that God has supernaturally and strategically, or in one word, sovereignly, put in our lives for us to be intentional with. So to refresh everyone on this principle, the oikos we're talking about is not a yogurt. It is a Greek word used quite often in the New Testament, and it's translated in Strong's Concordance as being of uncertain affinity, a dwelling more or less extensive, literal or figurative, by implication a family, more or less related, literally or figuratively, home, household, temple. So that's, that's kind of how we understand the word oikos. So it, it would be best understood um, as an extended household. So relatives, yes, absolutely, but also friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and others connected in some way that have become as your people in a way brought under your relational roof. Uh, so this group of people that, that God has put in your life you have greater influence with them than anybody else on the earth. This is your people. Because they are the people who know that if you're saying something, whether it's genuine or not. Because they will see how you live it out or how you don't. And this is why this has been the missionary strategy of the church from the very beginning. Set in motion by the founder and the head of the church, Jesus. So let's look at scripture to help us out a little bit here, to see how this oikos principle is applied in the New Testament. First, uh, Mark chapter 5 is one of the best examples of this, I think, because it is a precedent set by Jesus himself in Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, after Jesus delivers the man from a legion of demons. We read that as he was getting into the boat, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. Jesus did not permit him. But said to him, go, go home to your friends, to your oikos, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis this ten, region of 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. They marveled because they knew this man. They knew him before, and now he's sharing what Jesus did and how Jesus changed his life. And because he had this relational bank with these people, they listened to him. So was this his idea? No. This was the idea and the command of Jesus to go and tell your oikos. Go and tell your people. Go and tell your friends. And notice here, this man wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus. He wanted to get in the boat and to be with Jesus. And that's our hearts. 
we have this radical idea because of the guarantee and then the promises and the character of Christ that to be with him is far better than anything else that this life can offer us here and now. So, so we can say, like the Apostle Paul said, that to die is gain. Because to be absent in the body, we know, is to be present with the Lord. So, so now, what is it to live here and now? Well, Jesus says to the man, you cannot be with me now. Rather, go and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. So we say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to share Christ, to love as Christ. To live is the oikos principle. And then to die is all-surpassing gain. It, it, is, it is to be with Jesus for all eternity. The light of the world, the word that became flesh, the word that, that gave life to all that is, to all that was, and to all that will be. To be with Jesus, to die is gain. It is nearly beyond imagining. So we live in a small moment of time, here and now, with a heart for the one thing that we'll never be able to do again when we leave this, this old body to receive our new one, to be with Jesus for all eternity. And the one thing we won't be able to do at that time is to go and share Jesus with others. Because everyone else there will have already heard of Jesus and committed their lives to him and, and be with him. right? And so we have this one opportunity to do this here and now. So Jesus says, go and tell your people. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell them of God's mercy. Go and tell them of all that he's done for you. And we see this principle lived out repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Let's look at Acts real quick. Acts chapter 11, verses 12 through 18, where Peter is explaining to the church how God revealed to him the inclusion of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God. That's great news for us. We're we're basically all Gentiles here. Um, and, and, this, and, and God revealed to uh, Peter, go and tell the Gentiles. Um, and, and he desired Peter to go and reach them. And so we read in, in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 12, and the Spirit told me, Peter saying, to go with them, making no distinction, no distinction between Jew or Gentile. These six brothers also accompanied me. So Peter went with six other brothers. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your oikos, all your household. So what's the method here? That we see. Share the message by which we are saved to one man or one woman. There's examples of both in Acts. And they share this same message with their entire household, their entire oikos, and their oikos is saved. And who's telling them to do so? Well, in Mark chapter 5, it's Jesus. Now in Acts chapter 11, verse 12, it's the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 11, uh, verses 13 through 14, it was an angel. So, so this is God's design for evangelism to take place. You receive the gospel, now go and tell your people. And this happens time and time again in the book of Acts, which we, we could spend the rest of our time here actually looking at all the examples of this happening if we wanted to. 
So, so there's, there's a spiritually gifted teacher or evangelist that we see uh, who God uses to reach the one. But through this one, God reaches an entire household. And from that, other households as well. That's the idea. So you may say that, you know, you're not a gifted teacher. You're not a, a gifted evangelist. But God says, look at the people I put in your life. Go and tell your people. And the data on this is absolute. Uh, because there's a 90 to 95% chance this is how you came to faith. It was because someone else close to you was praying. Someone close to you was inviting you. Someone close to you was investing in you. Someone close to you shared the message of Jesus and brought you to a place where you could hear it. Orange Institute for American Church Growth surveyed over 17,000 persons in 1980 asking, what or who was responsible for your coming to Christ and to your church? Arn published his findings in the Master's Plan for Making Disciples, and church leaders were astounded by what his findings showed. Uh, he reported from the study uh, that, that people gave eight responses as follows. The first one was a special need uh, that happened in their life. Um, that was one to two percent of people came to faith because a special need happened, an event happened maybe. The second one was, was walk-in, two to three percent from, from just hey, passing by a church, I'm going to walk in. <laughs> uh, five to six percent was because of a pastor. Maybe they, they heard a sermon on the radio, had a connection with a pastor. Uh, visitation, one to two percent, that's like door-to-door kind of a thing. Uh, Sunday school, four to five percent. Um, my question is, who brought them? Were they brought by their parents, by a spouse? Um, that's the oikos. Uh, next was crusade. So this one's interesting, 025 to 0.5%. So less than 1% uh, came to faith because of a crusade. This was 1980s. This was Billy Graham crusade days. Uh, that's pretty astounding. I think that number um, is so low. Uh, I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is who, who brought them to the crusade? It, as we're seeing a big response happen, what were those connections? What, what were the other inputs God was using in their lives? And, and it's people. Uh, the next one was a church program, like an event or something. That's 2 to 3%. Um, again, who brought them there? And then finally, the last one, friend slash relative, 75 to 90% came to faith because a friend and a relative. That's astounding. It's amazing. Uh, the Institute proclaimed the great majority of people today trace their spiritual roots directly to a friend or a relative as the major reason they're now in Christ and their church. It's a great majority. And as we saw in the stats, it's actually probably close, closer to 95% if you consider who invited, who brought them to hear that sermon or attend that Sunday school. So, so this, is, this is the method. This is the method. I, I, I shared this last year when we were talking about this because uh, 95% is a is a huge statistic <laughs> of how people come to faith. This really shows that this is the method. And, and this happens repeatedly throughout the New Testament. It's the way of Jesus. It is the way of the Holy Spirit. It's the way of the apostles. That's why all, all these said, go and tell your oikos. That was what they said, go and tell your people. Because we see the example of Jesus, that one disciple, 12, 12 disciple, 120, and 120 with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit, became 3,000, and then 3,000 has now become hundreds and hundreds of millions worldwide.
And this is the major reason why around 90 to 95% of us heard and received the gospel through our extended households and relationships, our oikos. Someone close to us was praying, investing, inviting us. So know that there is a group of people in your life that you have this kind of influence with for a limited time. And God is calling us not to waste it. In fact, in Ephesians 5.16, the Apostle Paul says, to redeem the time, meaning make the best use of the time that we have because, he says, the days are evil. And that's what this is about. Making the best use of the limited time that we have here, knowing this world is passing away and people need the hope of Christ. And we've been called out to go and tell them. This year, our missions theme is sending. And we'll get more into that in the next few weeks. But the question for us this morning is, who are those people that God has put in your life that you are rubbing shoulders with daily? We need to understand them as being those people we've been sent to. Or another way to think of it, perhaps, is they've been sent to you. And God's sovereignty in this season for such a time as this And there are probably anywhere from 8 to 15 of them. And you're already having an influence on these people. But the hope and goal of the Oikos principle is to become more thoughtful and more intentional and more prayerful in doing this. So if all you do from this series is pray for one more person daily or as often as you think of them, I would consider that a massive win. (laughs) But what are the upper limits of that? What are the upper limits of that? What are the upper limits of taking this Oikos card here and following the steps on it for each person and doing it consistently and in the love of Christ? What kind of lifelong impact can we have on the lives of these people God's put in our lives? We don't know. We simply don't know how those impacts will ripple throughout time and space. We won't know this side of heaven, the impact we had. So remember, as you're impacting these people, as you're impacting these 8 to 15 people, they are connected to another 8 to 15 perhaps, including you, but also including many who are not you, who who they, because of God's calling and your influence, are now reaching people you never could. And it becomes multiplication, not simply addition. And that's an amazing thing when we start to think about it. The amazing reach and impact we can have by affecting the 8 to 15 people in our lives. For the past month, we've been talking about Romans 12, uh, being living sacrifices, living with a genuine love, and and what does that look like? We've been talking about how that's action-oriented. It's taking up our cross and following Christ. It's a choice, a daily choice, that by choosing it, our hearts are changed, and perhaps the hearts of others as well. And when genuine love is applied to our calling to reach and to share the good news of Jesus, it is action-oriented. And I believe these five simple steps outlined on our Oikos card um, are going to help us here with this. The first one is to list. The second one is to pray. The third is to invest. The fourth is to invite. And step five is to prepare. So the first step is 
to add names here, <laughs> add names to this card. Um, and and they're, they're going to change over time. Uh, they've probably changed significantly this past year due to COVID and lockdowns. But take time to consider man, who God has put in your life to be intentional with. And Jesus chose 12 to be extremely intentional with long before they ever believed in him. And we know that one of the 12, even Jesus could not reach it was part of God's plan, and we know that Judas ended up betraying Jesus. So we trust God with whatever happens to this list um, and, and whoever is on it. We, we, we trust him with the results as well. So the first is to make the list. The next is to pray. Pray daily for your oikos, that each would sense God's presence in their lives and, and be open to his love. And then to see him working and moving. And, and maybe you just pray for one person a day on here and you just kind of switch who you're, who you're going through. Um, you know, some of you, I believe, are listening this morning because someone else was praying for you. It reminds me of the parable of the persistent widow, uh, Jesus tells in Luke 18. We read, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the persistent widow brought even an unrighteous judge to fulfill her request for justice. A widow who had no power in those days brought a ruler to fulfill her request simply by being persistent. There is power in requesting. And that is true with God as well. Jesus tells us so. But he also tells us that God's character is not that of the unrighteous judge, but rather he is good and swift to bring justice to his elect. So when we talk about praying for our oikos daily, we're talking about becoming a bunch of persistent widows (laughs) who making their requests uh, made known to God are praying for his intercession and the lives of those that we love, who he's put in our life. We're praying for them to see God. Next is to invest. Number three is to invest. Look for opportunities to invest in the disciple-making process as God leads and directs you. Jesus invested in his disciples continually, we see throughout the Gospels. We read how he would meet with them privately after a full day of preaching and teaching and healing. Uh, He would meet with them and debrief with them, asking, you know, if they understood and, and teaching them in more depth, investing more time and energy in them specifically. He would pull them aside and, and tell them what was to come and that he would be delivered into the hands of sinners to be killed. And furthermore, he would invest in them by having them do all the baptisms. We read in the gospel of, according to John uh, that Jesus never baptized uh, anybody. His disciples baptized people. 
And we also read that Jesus baptized more people than John the Baptist. But it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, rather it was his disciples. So from the very beginning, he's developing this pattern of multiplication with them. And he continually gave them more and more opportunities to join him in the ministry, sending them out two by two to different towns and districts, empowering them to cast out demons and heal the sick and to, and to preach the good news, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He invested in them and now invested in us, the Holy Spirit, calling it a down payment because the gift of the Holy Spirit is a down payment on our future inheritance. Furthermore, Jesus invested his very lifeblood in the creation of his church, praying to the Father that we would be made one as they are one. He continually invests in us with his love and with his new life. So we take our cues from Jesus in this third step of investment because he invested in individuals because ministry is people. And that's our calling to invest in people. Next is invite. Number four, invite them to be a part of your life regularly and thoughtfully. Uh, this time of COVID has kind of made everything a little bit weird. So, so depending on, on where you are and where they are with uh, their risk levels, their social distancing, what, what they're doing, uh, maybe inviting them looks really different than it did you know, a year and a half ago. Maybe you invite them to join you in a watch party online or a Zoom event. You know, my sister has been uh, leading these workout classes since like May or June of last year. Um, and it's been a really great time of exercise um, and, and also fellowship. Uh, it, was a, it was just this weekly point that we had, we still have actually, uh, where we get to accomplish something together. Uh, and, then, and then we get to share what's happening in our lives. So it was really fun to invite others into that. And we were able to invite others who were part of our Oikoses into this workout class and, and just really be a great time of, of catching up and um, doing something fun together amidst this season. So, so think about those things. Extend the invite to something you're doing like that. And the worst they could say is no. And remember that you are the church. You're the church. So when people encounter you, they encounter the church. And then hopefully you could extend the invite to our Sunday morning worship uh, experience online or our worship service in person. And online is such an easy way for somebody to engage without you know, the pressure of coming in to the building. So that's a, that's a great place to start. Start there with somebody. Um, in Luke chapter 19, we read about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I just love this because this is classic Jesus, never going along with what will make him more popular, always seeking to save the one. I wonder if we can say that in our own lives. Are you willing to be ridiculed to reach the one? The one called a weasel, a liar, an extortioner, 
the one who stole from their own people. And so don't misunderstand the story. The people had a very good reason to despise Zacchaeus. We would have despised him as well. He would have stolen from your business, taken what you laid up for a rainy day, and kept much of it for himself. And yet, here is Jesus saying, I must stay at your house today. And incredibly, we read that in Luke 19, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, Today, salvation has come to this oikos, to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that amazing? This is what Jesus does for each of us. And praise God that no one is beyond reconciliation. That when salvation came, so did reconciliation with God and with man. So Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this oikos, to this house. It was an invitation that saved Zacchaeus and with him his entire household. That's the power of an invitation. Not just any invitation, mind you, but an invitation to encounter Jesus. It changed the life of Zacchaeus, and not just him, his whole relational network. Make the investment and invite. Invite any and all, even the Zacchaeuses in your life. Finally, we'll, we'll end with this as number five, to prepare. We want to be growing and maturing in our faith and be prepared to give a response for when people ask about the hope that we have. Because now, every interaction we have, as we're prepared, we are thinking, pray, invest, invite, because we've been preparing. We've been prepared to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus and to love like Jesus, who put a laser focus on individuals. And by doing so, he reached oikos after oikos after oikos and is calling us to do the same. We want to be prepared for what God has in store this year for KCC and in each of our oikoses. And we'll talk more about this uh, next week in the coming weeks. But for now, speaking of prepare, we need to prepare our hearts before God because today is Communion Sunday. And for you joining us online today, I know that our hearts long to be together, um, but we can still partake of the Lord's Supper together as we remember him and what he accomplished on our behalf. So at this time, let's have an attitude of prayer and reflection, confessing our sins to God and asking for forgiveness of our sins as we've forgiven those who've sinned against us. So who do you need to forgive this morning? What do you need to confess to God today and to seek his forgiveness for? So if you're at home right now, I encourage you, maybe hit the pause button, go grab the elements if you have them, just grab uh, uh, some bread or a wafer um, and some grape juice or uh, wine if you have it there, and prepare for communion. So the Lord, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, 
which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed for you in my blood. And my blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness, the gift of new life. We thank you, Jesus, that you went willingly to the cross to redeem us. We thank you that the grave could not hold you, that on the third day you rose again. And you call us to follow after you. And you say that you've gone before us to prepare a place for us. So God, we just thank you for the great hope we have. And Lord, may we always remember to live as Christ and to die as gain. May we live in such a way that you've called us to live, to look out for the interests of others before our own, to love others as you've loved us, to tell others of your mercies and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, may we, with the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity with you, do this with rejoicing, do this with patience, do this being constant in prayer and looking to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maranatha.